0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org for you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, James. Hey guys, my name is uh, James. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi James. All right. Thanks, Rashad, for asking me to share. Specifically, thank you for asking me in November. Um, For the people on the podcast, something happens in this room um, during certain months of the year. We're in SoCal, and we have uh, a rather hot sun that comes through our entranceway and boils the first two rows, um, unless the door is closed, um, which is fine. We can just close the door, but then something else happens. The... uh, the sun then reflects off of the building here. So depending on where you sit, you may be sweating. Um, and I'm one of these strange people. My sponsor insists that I, I dress up when I speak out of respect for a program that's saving my life, which I don't have any problem with, because that's the primary reason. My secondary reason is, of course, I look damn fine in a suit. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, but I had a, I had a strange experience with the sun and it's how I really know that I'm I'm a very sick person today at two and a half years of recovery, which is like I was sitting in there, I was sitting on in that seat right there in the front row and the sun was shining on me and I was I was sweating actively and unable to hear the speaker, and I thought to myself you can't move. You can't allow people to know that you've made the wrong decision, right? Um, So I sat there for an exceedingly long period of time, like way longer than I should have, and um, sweating, and finally I couldn't take it anymore. I moved, and then I I moved to a spot, and then the sun started shining, reflecting in that same spot. And like, here's what really makes me different from a normal person. I became resentful at the sun. Which is... (laughs) The sun is, like, is not a thing that has motivation. However, I that has never been, like, a barrier to me being resentful at something, you know. Um, I it's, it's actually, it's really almost like superpower level. Uh, I, I have the ability to become resentful at just about anything, including and not limited to um, inanimate objects, and... Um, abstract concepts, and pets. Um, it, it, that's one of my many superpowers. Another superpower is I have the ability to leap uh, huge truths about myself in a single bound. And um, I, have, I have this other one. I, I can be at a meeting of OA, and I can be sitting by myself, and I, I see two people across the room, and I can't hear what they're saying, but they're talking to each other, and they'll laugh. And I don't know how I know, but I just know that they're they're gossiping about me and they're they're saying things that I that are not good about me. <laughs> so um, you know, my sponsor doesn't think they're superpowers, but I think they're superpowers. My sponsor, yeah, you, you know, he just calls me sick. Um, you know, I'm just like a sick person. You know, but I do have this this fourth superpower, which is very unique, um, and it's um, it's reserved to a certain class of individuals, right? And this is a legitimate superpower for me, which is that when I Eat, right. When I eat, I have this abnormal reaction that for a very brief period of time, it resolves all the emotional conflicts in my life, right. And it's a superpower because only a very select number of people have this, right. That's been my experience. And and growing up, I didn't know that because I don't know your experience with eating food. I have no way to know that, right. I just know that. I, I didn't learn that until I came in here and I learned that what compulsive overeating is, you know, that I have this abnormal reaction. Um, and for me, it, it, it solves every problem in my life for just a very short period of time. The problem is it causes all sorts of problems for me, which I then have to solve with more eating, you know. So anyway, um, this is a very special it's, – it's a privilege to come here and talk to you guys. I, I, uh, I'm one of these strange people, if you're new that has just been totally transformed by the 12 steps described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I just, I don't live the way that I used to live, I don't look the way that I used to look, and I don't behave the way that I used to behave. Everything about my life has changed, right? I don't have any of the problems. The problems that I have today, as, as it's often said, I are in areas where I did not have areas prior, right? Right? <laughs> that's been my experience so it's it's a great privilege but especially it is a privilege to speak at this meeting my home group because um this is a part of my story this more than just being my home group um when i was about six months abstinent i uh i found that my sponsor could no longer sponsor me and so i did something i have always wanted to do in 12-step recovery which is go sponsor shopping which is the best (laughs) and there's literally no better resource uh, that I know of in all a 12-step recovery than this podcast, right? And so that's what I did. I, I listened to just an abundance of different speakers on, on this podcast, and I came across my current sponsor is Michael B. And, um, you know, I, uh, I called – I think I, I called either Mickey or I called John. I'm not sure who I got, but I called the number on the website, asked for Michael's number. That was – I got the wrong number from that, but then I saw Michael just randomly at a meeting, you know, just very serendipitous that 's sort of been my experience in, in over years and I have had a relatively easy time in Overeaters Anonymous, and I think it's for this reason, it's because I had such an incredible, diff- such an incredibly difficult time getting sober in Alcoholics Anonymous that I have found literally every mistake a person can make that prevents them from getting, you know, from recovery. I really, I just didn't make them, you know, and so I have a relative, I've had a relatively easy time in Overeaters Anonymous, I say relatively, because there's really, like, this is, there's nothing easy about this, you know what I mean, like, I'm going to tell you guys my story, there are three people in it who are very significant. To me, right, very they are instrumental in me bringing in coming into into overeaters anonymous and all, I have more time than all of those people now, you know. So it's I don't know what that says to you, but my experience is this is a difficult thing, and I've also like I I've, I've had personal experience with people who I would consider titans of spirituality, and they just have they can't get this thing, man, you know. And for me, I think there are generally like two reasons that I I have struggled with this, right. So the first one is right? I have to do this on a daily basis, more so than with Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So like when I, when I, I'm an alcoholic, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous describes a type of a drinker, right? And he goes 20 years without taking a drink and he focuses on work. And then he puts on his slippers and when he, after 20 years and he drinks and he's dead in two years, right? So I can go a period of time in Alcoholics Anonymous on self-will, living selfishly, ignoring my program, and I won't drink necessarily as long as I come back to it. I can do that, and I have done it. I think pretty much everybody does as part of recovery, you know? It's I can't do that here. I, I just can't do that here. I... I... I start living on self-will. I don't call my sponsor. I, I start, you know, I start having secrets. And the next day, I start eating weird. And then the day after that, I'm eating stuff I'm not... Spo- I swear I wouldn't eat. And the day after that, I'm just eating how... I, like, I have completely lost control. Which, the truth is, I've never had control over food. That's a delusion. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea that I can control food at all, in my experience, is entirely false. Right? I have, I am powerless over food. That's been my experience. So... Um, I am going to uh, tell you in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, So, in the beginning there was chaos and then god said let there be light and i i got sober from drugs and alcohol right and there was it was this incredibly jarring experience because i had been living in such a way where i could not tell where one problem started and another problem ended right my life was just an absolute mess i lived in constant anxiety fear i thought i was insane and i probably was a little bit of insane a little bit insane and i was certainly a danger to myself and others right that's how i lived for the first 24 years of my life and then i got sober right and i'm this particular type of 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 person with a spiritual malady right i i think everyone with a spiritual malady like mine has this issue and it's i think it's the other reason that that recovery is so difficult right because i have this idea that i'm just different I'm different from you guys. I don't know why. I'm just different. Like, and I, for a while, it was like I'm smarter than you, but it turns out no one has ever um, been too dumb to recover from, from, from one of these problems, from an addiction. Nobody's, it's never happened. I've never seen it. Um, but I ha- I, for a long time, I was too smart to recover. right? Um, so I'm just. I have this sense that next time it's going to be different you know, that I'm going to eat and be able to control it the next time, you know? And it's it's this crazy thing, you know? And for me, like, identification is where everything happens here. For me, it's all about identification. That's been my experience. I didn't recover at all until I started to identify. And I think one of the real reasons that compulsive overeating, in my experience, is difficult is because I've been eating every single day, three times a day, well, mostly more than that, honestly, um, Since the first day I was born, you know, and like I, what I'm tasked with is making a diagnosis, right? I am tasked with making a diagnosis of my illness because a doctor can't do it for me because I'm different and I, if you, you don't know everything about me and you wouldn't say that if, if you knew everything about me. That's so I need to make, I need to make the diagnosis. And so I'm tasked with making this diagnosis, but I, I have to identify a very particular reaction that I, that is so off I have so often in my life, right? It's three times a day at the very least, right? And I have to make that abnormal, I have to make that identification. And it's so difficult because it's it's like background radiation for me by the time I come into, into Overeaters Anonymous. And when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, what I had to do to get over that was I had to spend a, a significant amount of time observing my reaction to food because I couldn't, I couldn't, identify it in retrospect, really, not make a real real diagnosis. What I had to do was take a look at the way that I was eating as it was happening. And that's how I identified with, with uh, the program. But to get back to my story, what I'm this particular type of person with a spiritual malady, and I just, I, for whatever reason, I'm different. I'm special, I'm unique, and I'm not like you. I'm what is called terminally uh, unique, right? Um, and so when I came into sobriety, I fell into a group of people who knew exactly what to do with a guy like me, right, somebody who just could not stay sober, right, and what they did is they told me, James, just put everything else aside and focus just on alcohol, it's all one big disease, just focus on alcohol, and that was the trick that saved my life, you know. I set everything else aside, and it allowed for me to make a diagnosis, right, which had been which had previously eluded me, right. So, but I, I worked the 12 steps and like my life changed and it was incredible, right? It was absolutely amazing. But there was this strange thing that happened to me when I worked the 12 steps, which is that I stopped putting my fingers down my throat and throwing up, which is like, it, I, I thought it was just normal. And I would share about it in meetings and I, could, I would look across the room and my sponsor would be red in the face. He, my A sponsor would be red in the face. He's, And I would talk to him about it he said, James, that's not alcoholism. I don't know what that is. That's not alcoholism. Stop talking about it, you know, because you're making people uncomfortable. They don't want to hold your hand and learn Lord's Prayer because you're talking about it. So So, I had an inkling that something was wrong. And to give you an idea, I'm going to describe to you the way that I eat, right? So by my nature, the way that I have eaten for most of my life, and it's, it's kind of, it's fluctuated a bit, but the way that I eat is I will overeat. I will throw it up out of fear. I will starve myself because there was still some bread and sugar in there and I have to like get rid of that. And then I'll do things like way over exercise and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll binge again. And it's like, it's a cycle for me over and over and over again, it's a cycle. Just to to be clarified, identify as as a compulsive overeater, right? Um, For me, it is only for brevity, (laughs) you know what I mean, like the process of identification in Overeaters Anonymous has been just like one meeting after another where somebody identifies as that thing, actually it happened like two weeks ago, somebody identified as an exercise bulimic, I'm like, oh my god, that's what it's called, oh Jesus, oh my god, you know, that's been been my experience, there's really, I've never heard anything that I don't relate to here, you know, I have it all, I really do, anorexia, bulimia, I also have recovery from it, and I am the worst body dysmorphic. I I don't know if I'm the worst body dysmorphic, but I am god-awful body dysmorphia, you know, just god-awful. When I was a couple months abstinent, I had a very low body fat percentage, like a 3% body fat percentage, extremely low. And I would look in the mirror and I would see somebody that was obese. That is a medical issue, right? That is a medical problem, as is bulimia, right? And as is anorexia, these are medical issues. And in my experience, having worked the 12 steps of, it's described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have recovered from those things, right? Um, there seems to be, like, in my experience, a couple of different views of, of Overeaters Anonymous. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, the one that I was first introduced to when I was, uh, when I, first learned about addiction a long time ago was the idea that, like, food is not something you can be addicted to. That's that's silly. You know, those people are just, you know, those fatties just need to shape up, you know, that kind of thing, you know? and But, like, that made me uncomfortable because, you know, like, there was definitely, I knew something was up with food. So the other one is sort of like, and I, I worked briefly in treatment, and uh, in treatment, um, they think it's totally fine that the 12 steps can solve this heroin issue, right? I, I inject heroin into my thing, but if you talk to them, if you, if you like, uh, reveal that you have an eating disorder and treatment, you are out. They, you're a liability. You gotta get out. And they take it very seriously, very seriously, right? And you gotta go to a special place for that because it is serious business. So they have this, like, they have this, uh, this serious attitude towards it. And then there's one that reflects my experience, which is sort of like the one that I hear most often in Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step recovery programs, which is that this is really difficult. That this is like, this is a daily thing. You have to unleash the beast three times a day. That's been sort of my experience with it as well. And as I said before, I have watched some people struggle. So, and I have struggled. So um, getting back to my story... Uh, I, so, like, I had this inkling that I was different, and I had this conversation with this individual at a meeting, and, uh, you know, he basi- I basically just casually described to him some eating behaviors because he said he was an Overeaters Anonymous. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have some of that. You know, I I like, kind of threw up a little bit, but I, I don't do that anymore. You know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll not eat for... A day or two you know um and he's like he looked at me and totally straight face he's like you should definitely check out a meeting of Eaters anonymous right and which was like strange to me because like nah, i'm i'm different i'm unique it's all one big disease i'm just an alcoholic i'm just a garden variety alcoholic right um but it was on my radar for sure now right and i was about two years sober at this point And then I had another conversation, and uh, this conversation changed my life, and it was very casual. I had a conversation with two people, um, two alcoholics that I knew were alcoholics like me, right? And it was outside my Sunday meeting, and I was mentioning the fact, what I've done is I've gone on and off of bread and sugar for years, right? Since 18 years old, I figured out a paleo diet, I could lose a ton of weight, um, and, and I could eat just about as much as I want and that's like that seemed to work for me the problem is i get this idea in my head that a diet pepsi counts as paleo you know it's just this crazy thing and like that thought happens whether i want it to or not i have no power over that it happens to me my mind changes itself right and i used to think i was changing it but that's not true I my mind changes itself and I'll I'll have this diet of Pepsi and then three months later I'll have gained all that weight back and I'll slam my fist on the kitchen table and say how did it happen how did it happen again I swore swore off bread and sugar but I, I was uh, you know so I, I yo yo diet that's what I do I yo 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 in weight um, and so I was describing this and the fact that I didn't eat bread and sugar with this person and with these two people and and one in particular said that. Well, that's interesting. I'm an OA, and eating, not eating uh, bread, flour, or recreational sugar is a very common abstinence. And that did two things for me, right? The first thing is I said, maybe maybe this can work for me then. Maybe this can help me do what I've been trying to do since I was 18 years old. It sort of like opened me up to it, right? Um And it also made me aware that there was something more than coincidence going on there. Those two substances were way too specific to be just coincidence, you know? And so now it was big on my radar. But what happened next was, uh, was super important because we had a conversation and uh, my, my friend, Alabama, um, he sort of chimed in at this point and said, yeah, I, I have compulsive overeating too and I figured out how to get over it. See this? And he held up his fist. This is the size of your stomach. Don't eat more than this. And my friend Jason looked at him and said, held up his fist and said, you see this? This is the size of your stomach. Don't drink more than this, right? And Jason shook his head. I remember, like, that's, that's not how it is, though. Food is different than booze. It's not the same thing. And what was interesting to me was that for me it's not. It's the same for me. It's exactly the same for me, but it wasn't the same for him, which told me that this person who I knew to be an alcoholic of my type was having a different reaction than I was to food, and it made it unambiguous about it. And I, it just so happened that I had been talking about Years anonymous, and so I, uh, it was on my mind, and I, I decided to check out a meeting. It took me a little bit, um, something that. Again, talking about my body dysmorphia, like something that really precipitated my, my uh, entry into Overeaters Anonymous was that I had, on the same day, I had looked up how expensive it would be to, to have liposuction done. And then I did a personal trainer. He did a body fat measurement, a body composition uh, measurement. And he said, you, your body composition is consistent with extreme leanness, right? You are extremely lean. Lean right? You should not lose any more weight. And so those two things didn't make sense to me, right? Those two things can't exist in the same person. I can't be a person who needs liposuction and also be a person who is extremely lean. Those two things don't happen, right? So there has to be some sort of resolution. And for me, that, it scared me a little bit because there was definitely something going on. And so I checked out a meeting of Years Anonymous. And what happened was I met a man Things. Aaron, some of you know him. At the time, Aaron had like was on step three and uh, was like five months abstinent. Um, but I saw him, man, and like at that time he was the twelve step champion of OA. Like it was, uh, he was just on fire, man. I couldn't believe it. I'm sponsored in AA by a person who has who just celebrated sixty years of sobriety, right? He sponsors hundreds of people, right, and uh, like I go to meetings with people who sponsor a lot of people, but I have never seen anybody so aggressively 12-step people as Aaron during that time. And he was just like an incredible, an incredible entry into this program because he was so enthusiastic. And I don't know about you guys, but I gravitate towards that. I gravitate towards enthusiasm. He just screamed of a person who had a real answer. And that was so compelling to me, you know? And so even though he had like less time than me sober or whatever, he, I, I, I asked him to sponsor me and we started working together and an interesting thing happened, right? So at this point, I was, I was losing a lot of weight. I was keeping it off just like I always had. But the thing is, I can only go about two months on that diet, right? That's, that was my fuse, right? At two months is when I fall off the wagon and I just I go back at it, you know? And something happened, was, which was that three months, four months, five months, six months rolled around. And I wasn't, it wasn't happening. So I had an inkling that participating here, having a home group, having commitments at a meeting, calling my sponsor on a regular basis and working the 12 steps, as just described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and shown to me by the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous was having a real significant effect, that I was getting results that I could not deny, right? And that was compelling to me. And just so you I, I absolutely love The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not a big book thumper, but that's mostly just because I'm extraordinarily lazy. Um, and I tend to like those types of people, though. I, I don't have a problem with it, man. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is an incredible thing to me, right? Because Bill had no medical experience at all when he wrote it. He was three years sober, which is really, by most standards, still a newcomer. And, like... He's, he wrote it with, with just, like, no knowledge of alcoholism whatsoever, you know what I mean? But what's really what really surprises me is that there are guys who I know to be 60 years sober who read that book and still find new stuff on a regular basis. That's incredible to me. And a lot of people in my group, they say that the big book is God-inspired. And I'm, I'm like a devout atheist for most of my life. I'm not anymore, but I was for most of my life, and I lean that way, you know? But what really gets it for me, right? Why I don't scoff at that kind of attitude towards the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is because not only does it solve a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, which Bill was totally unfamiliar with and unqualified to do, right, to, to solve, but it also solves a slew of other problems that Bill doesn't even know existed when he writes it, right? That to me is like, I don't necessarily believe that that's possible in reality. Like there has, I'm willing to believe or at least entertain the idea that there is some sort of divine intervention in that book. And having had the experience that Bill describes in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous by doing exactly what he said, I can tell you that, man, it's a big deal it's a big deal. Those first 164 pages are a really, really big deal. They have totally changed my life. And I also love the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous because, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells me how to work the 12 steps, but overeaters, being a compulsive overeater requires very specific things that are separate. You know, like, I don't have a food plan in AA. I don't have a food plan in AA. I have a food plan here. I need a food plan here. So I am also incredibly Incredibly in, in gratitude towards the fellow, I, I owe a great deal to you guys and what you've shown me. So um, at six months, I got Michael as a, my, as my sponsor, and um, at this point in my abstinence, I was not. Um, I was eating only and only uh, meat and vegetables, right? Only meat and vegetables because everything else I was very nervous about. Anything else, I would go over. I would I would overeat and. Um, so I, I cut out everything, right? And what happened to me was uh, something very unusual, right? So I lost a lot of weight that way, Um which you will do if you eat only meat and vegetables. You're going to lose a lot of weight, you know. And then I had this interaction on a beach, right? So for the first time in my life, I felt somewhat comfortable, right? I, I went, I walked through some fear that I had, and I took my shirt off at a beach, which was totally. I have loose skin around my waist. I have stretch marks on my stomach, right? I am extremely uncomfortable and drilled with self-centered fear whenever I take off my shirt, which has made my interactions with females through, for most of my life just just like terrifying and un enjoyable, right, Um, but I just, I walked through it at about six or seven months of abstinence, and I had this interaction with a group of people from a treatment center, right, and they said something to one of the two girls that I was with that was totally inappropriate, totally inappropriate, and um, I I felt emasculated by it because they had done it right in front of me, and I had to separate myself from the situation, and I went back to my car, and I looked in the mirror, and this body dysmorphia, which I have had, I, I believe that I am obese, right? That has been my entire life, that I'm a freak and that I'm disgusting and that don't, please don't look at me, you know? Um, it reversed, and I was disgustingly skinny, right? And so, like, I, I acknowledged that I was going to have to find another way. I was, this food plan is not going to work for me. And, it, you know, my experience with with food in regards to um in regards to sober eating, which I, I like. I love the word sober eating, right? What it that has happened to me over a very long period of time. What has happened to me is I have worked the 12 steps, as described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and very slowly over time, sanity has restored, discipline has, has been added to my eating, right? Which eludes me. As I said before, I am totally incapable of having any sort of discipline with my food. My body, my emotions, my thoughts, which I am out of control of, they control my consumption of food in my experience i am totally powerless over it and what happened over a slow slow period of time is that sanity began to uh, come to my food right (laughs) but there was some there's some like you know i had this one instance where i ate way too many almonds just like way too many almonds because it was the only thing in my in my cupboard right um and so i made an entire meal out of that and it was two disastrous results. It was just got. I went on a date and it was just so, not, it was just God awful. And uh, I went to my sponsor uh, and afterwards I'm like, listen man, this is some weird eating. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Maybe I should reset my date. And what he said was, um, no, I don't think that's right. Um, I think what you've discovered is that you shouldn't make a meal out of almonds, and, and that you're human. You know what I mean? And like, God, that's so, that's so, it's it just beyond me. Because what I, my instinct is to sell, use Overeaters Anonymous to self-flatulate. Reset my date. Reset my date. I'm such a bad person for not, for not eating the way that I think. But here's the problem with resetting my date based on my thoughts and my emotions. I'm not in control of them and most of the time they're not reflective of reality. right? I'm a crazy person, I should not be making decisions most of the time based on my thoughts and my emotions. That's why I have a sponsor. right? In my experience, I engage in sort of like two different types of sponsorship. The first type of sponsorship that I've engaged in, which I don't recommend, is reactive sponsorship. right? That's where like, hey Spons, I burn my life to the ground, how do I clean this up? right? And then there's this other type of sponsorship which I, I have had to adopt. Right? Right? Or I would drink or eat. Right? One of the two, you know. And that's active sponsorship. right? Active sponsorship is like, hey, sponsor I'm thinking about burning my life to the ground. What do you think about that idea? And, and he'll say, uh, I don't think you should burn your life to the ground. And then I sometimes do it anyway. So, uh, but doing that, allows for me, at least, allows God to come in, it allows the opportunity for God to come into my relationship with reality. Which is like, my rela- relationship with reality is a- is as normal abnormal as my relationship with food. You know what I mean? Because I have this spiritual malady, right? And my experience, like this spiritual malady, it took me a long time to figure that out, right? And in my experience, my, the root of my problem is selfishness and self-centered. Right? I am extremely, I am so introverted that it's a fatal malady that only a deity can overcome. You know what I mean? That's how introverted I am. I'm always thinking about myself, you know, in one way, shape, or another. There is no one who thinks about anything as much as I think about what you think about me. You know what I mean? So... Like, this selfishness is self-centered. I'm just, I'm wracked in the bondage of self. And for me, like, it eludes me as to my problem. I'm amazed Bill figured it out. You know, he had to have some help there, you know, because I had no idea what was wrong with me. But I'm selfish and self-centered. And as a result, I experience reality as a selfish and self-centered person, which turns out much like the Grinch or Ebenezer Scrooge is not great. I'm bitter and judgmental. People are are cold and unfriendly, and they're not on my side. And the re- reality itself is, is a cold, unforgiving place. That's how I experience reality when I'm thinking about myself, when I am engaging in actions based in fear, right? I was introduced to this other way, right? The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that if I don't have a spiritual experience and a psychic change of the type I'm describing, I'm not going to recover, period, right? And for me, it is all about being other-centered, Right? And so what I've been shown here is this way of life, right? And I do have to do it on a daily basis. And for me, like, it's all geared towards getting my attention off of me and onto you. Because when I am other-centered, I experience reality as an other-centered individual, right? I experience an entirely different reality, which prior to Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, prior to that, I had no idea existed. And it turns out that reality is more close to what it is that is actually going on in my life, right? And the reality I experience when I get out of myself, when I place your problems above my problems, what happens then is I experience a world where people are on my side, where good things are going to happen, where I'm a decent person, I'm charismatic, and I'm good-looking, right? And for me, body dysmorphia, it's rooted in fear, but I didn't get over body dysmorphia by getting rid of fear. That's not what I did. Right, body dysmorphia for me is really rooted in self-esteem and my sponsor made it very clear if you want self-esteem you need to do esteemable actions that's the only way to do it and that is the greatest experience. That is the greatest piece of advice I've ever had in my life, right? It's the basis of my entire program, right? And I, I'll still act selfishly, right? But I've been supplied this way of life, right? And all these things are designed to get me out of myself, right? I play baseball and volleyball on Saturday mornings. I go I go to meetings and I hang out with friends on Saturdays. Sundays, I'm doing the same thing. I'm hanging out with people, always getting, always action, always doing something. All day, I, I get up early in the morning. I start doing work. I go, to, I go to a meeting at night. Like, I am always moving. I am always engaged in reality. And as a result of that, I have what people call a really big life, right? A really big life. That's what's been the result of that. And it's exhausting sometimes, but it's this wonderful thing. I've found that, like, when I'm not constantly thinking about myself and my mind is not always turning all the time, I have all this extra energy that I never had before, you know? And I've found that the, more, the less I think, the, uh, the better I feel and the, the, the more energy I have, you know? It's this incredible experience that I've had here that I've been shown, you know? And for me, that's what the book means when it says a life beyond my wildest dreams, right? So I'm experiencing reality most of the time with a clear head and a calm heart, right? That's what the result of, of taking actions that place another person's problems in front of my own has given me, right? So... Uh, when I was maybe a year absent or two years abstinent, um, actually, I, th- I think I've been sponsoring for about a year now, I, the guy who 12-stepped me had that conversation, the one with the fist. He reset his date. And, um, you know, I, at this point, I had worked the 12 steps in Overeaters Anonymous um, and had this incredible experience, another incredible experience, where I was unrecognizable, right? And he had seen that happen and he reset his date and he asked me to sponsor him. So it was this by this strange thing that the person who 12 step me is one of my sponsees now. And it's just like an incredible way for me to give back to that, you know. And he's 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 he uh, does more for me than I do for him because what he does is he teaches me how to be a sponsee, right? I see what he does and the things that like <laughs> like I can't <laughs> I can't criticize him for not calling me every day. If I'm not calling my sponsor every day, you know what I mean. Like I can't, I can't point out the problems with him, you know, reactively sponsor, being sponsored. If if I'm the being reactively sponsored, you know, that's I can't do that. So he teaches me how to be a sponsor, and it's really the greatest thing that's happened to me in sobriety is sponsorship. It's like I just I have this person who's just nothing but a joy in my life, and I try and be supportive of him and not be uh, be be harsh to him, you know, I, I, try and, I try and tell him the truth with a bit of tact. And, uh, you know, I've sponsored a lot of guys and it's like, it's tough. I'll say that it's tough, you know, but it, I'll say, uh, I've had almost a 0% success rate in sponsorship, but that's actually not true. I've had a hundred percent success rate because I've stayed absent as a result of it. That's the truth. Like that's the truth, Right. Um, And I have a couple of minutes left. Let's see. I love you guys. I just love this thing. I absolutely love it. I can't believe that this worked. I really, I thought I was a freak and that I would die not knowing what was wrong with me. You know what I mean? And I lived in such a way where um, no one's feeling bad for for the guy who eats too much, you know? But they don't understand that I think about killing myself on a daily basis. And you took that away from me. What you showed me took that away from me, you know? And it's sort of this hell that no one believes is there. That's my experience when I'm in self, is it's just like this own little version of hell that no one believes that I'm in, you know? And what happened to me in Overeaters Anonymous is someone extended their hand to me at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know. What they were really doing is they they were extending their hand to try and help me out of hell. That's what they were doing. That's been my experience, and I try and do that. You know, for me, like, I just, I, I have to give this thing to get it. That's been my experience. There's no, like, if you're new here and you're expecting us to give you something, it's just like, it doesn't work like that. you got to, you got to go after it if you you got to have, you have to be willing to give something here if you want to get something. That's been my universal experience. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. When I was, um... I have one minute left, so I'll end with this. When I was very, very, uh, actually when I was about two years absent, I went home. And I had struggled to get sober in this group for a long time. And I was excited because they were going to see that I had recovered, right? And I was so excited. And when I met them, I saw the look in their face and they had no idea who I was. They had absolutely no idea who I was. And then I described parts of their story that were very intimate, things that their family didn't know. And they still did not believe that they knew who I was. They sort of just like, oh, yeah, okay. And I was really upset. I was like, you people are selfish and self-centered. Like, you're all a bunch of frauds. Like, you didn't care about me at all, you know? And then an old-timer in my book, or I'm sorry, in my group, pointed out a portion of the story. And I did this as a, in, in, during an immense trip. And he pointed out a portion of the story in Doctor uh, Dr. Silkworth's opinion, right? The doctor's opinion. Where the doctor sees Bill for the first for the first time after he's gotten sober, and he cannot believe the person that he that's in front of him. He cannot believe that he knows him. He knows he knows him, but he cannot believe that he knows him. And for me, I have worked the twelve steps described in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have had that experience. If you want that experience, it is here for you. Thank you so much.